Hi, this is Ryan, and thank you for joining us here on I Missed It. We want to hear your opinions, too. You can find us over on Twitter at I Missed It Pod. Let us know if you're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer along with us, whether it's for the first time, like me, or the fifth time, like Brittany. This show would not exist as part of the Ghostlight Media Network without the support of our patrons. You can find the rest of the network shows over at ghostlightmedia.net. Please take a minute and rate and review this podcast and whatever podcatcher will let you. It really means a lot to us. That's all for now. Enjoy the show. Podcast where we watch a show that one of us wanted to watch again and the other one missed entirely. I'm Ryan, and I missed it. Hi, I'm Brittany, and I still have not. This is Buffy Season 1, Episode 5, released in 1997. The IMDb summary is, with Buffy preoccupied by her date with Owen, Giles is trapped by a group of vampires seeking to raise a powerful leader. And I gotta say, I kept waiting for Giles to be trapped. And it took like 25 minutes. It took a long time. It took a long time. There was a lot of exposition. There was a lot of other stuff going on. They had to establish Owen and that we were okay with Owen first. Yes. Owen's great. Yeah. Owen's awesome. Team Owen. Calling it now. <laughs> I don't think he comes back. Oh, really? They didn't... I really don't. That's a shame because I even like made a point of writing a note down that... Hey, I'm so happy they introduced a new character, and he's a good character, and he's got some depth to him. We like him, Mm -hmm. and he's not dead. I don't think he comes back. Of course he doesn't. Come on, Joss Whedon. Come on. I guess if your season's only 12 episodes long, you just have a lot of throwaway characters? I don't know. That doesn't make sense. It'd be the opposite, you'd think. You'd think so. Well, I'm giving that episode, I think I'd give that episode like a seven, maybe a seven and a half. I enjoyed it. There was a lot of good lore in it. There was a lot of good uh, world building. It felt like we were getting back to what Buffy's supposed to be. It wasn't just about high school groups or this Mm -hmm. thing that happens to them in the school. They're actually vampires. Voldemort comes back. No, I agree. I I think I'd give it about a seven and a half as well i like it well the imdb rating is 7.6 so i like it that's not my favorite but i like it how much did you remember did you remember this episode never kill a boy on the first date it's the title of this episode i don't think i said that at the beginning i remembered most of it i wrote a couple things that i forgot i forgot how much they try to steer you in one direction for the anointed one and then it's completely different at the end. Yes, because they do the fantasy trope of, oh no, small child who's evil now. Yeah. Because prophecy. Um yes. And I didn't think they'd do that in season one. I thought they would wait. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. So they, but they try really hard to steer you in a different direction. And I forgot how much they did that. So the new character that we need to remember is not 
Owen. It's, it's the anointed one. The anointed one, the small child. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that they only call him the anointed one. He doesn't have a name. Uh, uh-uh, I don't think so. I don't think they gave us a name. He uh-huh. was on the bus though. Yes, because everybody on the bus died. Yes, except the small child. I mean, he while well, he died and came back. Yeah, he's the anointed one. He's raised again. I also <laughs> forgot. And this becomes, like, a really big thing throughout the entire thing, but how terrible Giles' car is. Oh, yeah. That's just... That's a trope? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it's throughout, like, the entirety of the show. I mean, he's making that high school librarian money. I mean, plus he's a watcher. I imagine he's getting paid for that. I don't know that for sure, I guess. I mean, is Buffy getting paid? I mean, that if Buffy's getting paid to do this, that explains how she has this very impressive wardrobe. I think her impressive wardrobe is supposed to be established because she was from L.A. Well, yeah, but you still need money. And if you're from L.A., you would need more. Things are more expensive there. Um, I don't know. They never actually talk about, like, what Buffy's dad does. Does he even show up? Mm-hmm. Okay, eventually. Mm-hmm. Because we've had the mom so far. Yeah, dad shows she's, up. She's an art something? She owns a gallery of some kind. Like an antique gallery type thing. Okay. Because they have that fertility thing. Oh, right. The fertility statue. And they made several jokes and yeah. they weren't that great. But they made them and they were there. Yes. Anything else you had uh, forgotten happened? Anything important or... Um... I wrote a note about Darla question mark because I kind of I assumed she was in this episode and she wasn't. No, there was no Darla. And yeah. The only okay, so the only reason I know Darla is important is because you said Darla is important. Yeah. I don't know anything about Darla. Well, I mean, but they established at the beginning that she's important because she's working with the master. Right, she's important because she was a student that they didn't know was a vampire. She's not a student. She's not a student. She's not a student. She dresses that way to come off as a student. Gotcha, so she can infiltrate the high school. Correct. Because Um, this is about high school students. Yes. They establish at the beginning that she's important with the master. That is not why she's important later on, but they establish that she's important to the master... So, I assumed she was in this episode, but all of the people that were, or all of the vampires that were helping get the anointed one were male. And? None of them were no, no names either, I think. Correct. Because, you know, they're expendable. They're red shirts. Yeah. So, a little bit of a summary. I immediately noticed there was no opening montage this Correct. time. Um, and so, they jumped right into, like, a little bit of an opening gag of... Buffy fighting a vamp- fighting and staking a vampire in the uh, cemetery, and then Giles pops out from behind the head, so he, and he's like, "Well, that was not very well done." Yeah. That's why <laughs> really late at night, very bad Giles impression. Anthony Stewart head is far better than that. I apologize, but they did that instead, and I think I like that better. It gives us a little bit, because you can do little short snippets of scenes that don't make sense otherwise, and that can just be your opener. Kind of like how Brooklyn Nine-Nine does it now. Yeah. And sometimes, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, sometimes the little opener thing fits into the story, and it's the setup. And other times it's just, hey, let's explore 
the world through a different way or show you something else or show you something interesting. Yeah. I'm also wondering if the episode just ran long and so they couldn't add it at the beginning. That's also possible. So we saw very early on that Voldemort is back. The master. Yes. Master Voldemort is back. Uh, I missed him. I didn't realize I missed him. I missed him. I like that guy. <laughs> also, that actor. That actor is earning his paycheck. Yeah. Master Voldemort. Well done. It's almost like everybody else on set realized he was there that day or that week. And everybody else tried to up their game, too. Because Sarah Michelle Gellar tries harder in this one. Mm-hmm. It feels like maybe she's getting comfortable. But here's what I figured out. What bugs me about um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, at least in the early going of Buffy, I'm sure it gets better. It has to get better. It ran for so long. It has to get better. It can't get worse. Okay. <laughs> I think that she mimics whoever her acting partner is. Yeah. I think that's how she performs. That's how she acts. That's how she's trying to find Buffy. Because when she is talking with Giles, she starts speaking faster and tries to sound smarter. Or when she's talking with Owen, she obviously was very, I mean, obviously the motivation was there that it was, you know, oh my gosh, young love, we're going on a date. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm all Twitter pated, but they were doing many of the same things. Mm-hmm. Her and I understand. the guy playing Owen. Or yeah. It just, And when she's talking to Angel, she gets... She speaks a lot because Angel doesn't, so she has to carry the weight in the scene, dialogue-wise. But she also gets, like, visually brooding. Which is so funny because he's so much less brooding right now than he will be. Oh, no. Oh, no. I did have a brief moment when I realized and could visually see the moment that the... Uh, the casting director or the design team from Twilight watched the first season of Buffy and said, "Hey, that David Boreanaz vampire, that angel, yeah, let's uh, let's try to take that energy and put it on Edward Cullen." Mm-hmm. There was just this moment where it was like, "Oh man, if this was." 15 years later, David Boreanaz would be playing Edward Cullen, and I'm not okay with it. Mm-hmm. Do we have to put a spoiler in there? Because technically they haven't told us that Angel's a vampire yet. Oh, yeah. I well, <laughs> See, that's see, one of the things about this. Some things are understood, because yeah. this thing is 22 years old. 1997, this episode. And we just, we just know that angels a vampire that's just something people know i'm yeah i mean if you are if you know if, you, if you're watching buffy right now and you haven't we haven't established that angel gets his own show right because he's a vampire with a soul he's a vampire with a soul it's which is super interesting oh it's so interesting it's incredibly interesting <laughs> And I'm sure 22 years ago when this was being released episode by episode, and I can't wait for the episode where they reveal that, and I want to watch how they do it, and I'm very excited for it. I'm sure 22 years ago it was one of those giant reveals, like one of those giant TV reveals of the plot, and oh my god, what a twist. Yeah. Like, it had to have been. It's what kept it going, and it's what gave him a spinoff show that was almost as successful, which is saying something. Yeah. 
But yeah, if you don't know that Angel's a vampire, you just haven't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I was reminded that uh, the vampires who don't get as much makeup or prosthetic as Voldemort really do look like Who's from Whoville from How uh, How to Stole Christmas. And I think it's the eyebrows, actually. Like, if they don't have a lot of eyebrow ridging, um, then it's really just the nose is super prominent and turned up and... Yeah. I think it's hilarious because, you know, maybe one day they're going to ask Buffy to go kill the Grinch. Okay. And I want to see Sarah Michelle Gellar fight Jim Carrey's Grinch. You know. <laughs> I, want the, I want that. I want that. Uh, I want that combat scene. But more than that, I want that battle of wits. Yes. I want those one-liners. That's hysterical. That's what I want. That's okay. what I want. Joss Whedon, give the people what they want. But back to Angel. Mm-hmm. Because it's Buffy, so we can't talk about Buffy without talking about Angel. We do have an Angel sighting. Uh, it takes about 27 minutes. There's only one this time. Last episode, there's two. And he interacts with a bunch of people. Yes. I did think it was funny that he showed up and was like, hey, this horrible thing is supposed to happen and this prophecy is going to come true tonight. Why are you here? Go take care of it. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't follow. Owen follows and everybody else follows. And they all end up there and that's a whole thing. But Angel doesn't go because he trusts her to take care of it. It leans right into what they're trying to do with the show, which is she don't need no man. Right. And then she can just do it all on her own. Well, with the support system and whatever. But that angel can just be like, yeah, you go kill all these things. And then he doesn't need to go or follow or confirm or help because he just knows that she will do it. That and if he goes and helps, she'll find out he's a vampire. Well, there is that too. And we can't find that out yet because that's not what the writers want. Correct. A new segment of the show, because I think it's it's happening enough that we can just call it a segment, uh, on this episode, how they made Cordelia unlikable. <laughs> because they work so hard. Yeah. They're so diligent about it. There is more screen time dedicated for you to not like Cordelia than there is explaining what being a slayer is. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's what a vampire is. It's hilarious to me. Yeah. It's just crazy. And and I'm sure there's a twist and later, and I know she's around forever, and I know she goes to Angel, but making her the mean girl feels like one of the stere- like one of the few stereotypes on the show. Yeah. Which they try so hard not to. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, I think she is the main, like, her and Xander are the main stereotypes. Yes. And it makes sense. It gives the audience something to grab onto. Mm-hmm. Because they're doing all these other groundbreaking things in the 1990s. That, you know, someone in the writer's room went, hey, shouldn't we do something that people will recognize? I guess. Yeah. I don't even remember at what point 
they decide to try and make her more likable. I feel like it's not until Angel that they do. So let's talk about the plot that was obviously going to come up sooner or later, and this is the first time they dive into it, and that is Bobby's Double Life. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously, when you're writing this and coming up with this, balancing the life of being a high school student and being the Slayer is something you're going to deal with and deal yeah. with often and deal with a lot and deal with forever because you're never going to fix it. You're never going to figure it out. You're just going to deal with it in the moment Yeah, and maybe figure out, okay, I can't do this. I can't do this. This will work. This won't work. So it's interesting to see them start to deal with it. And they introduced it probably the best way they can. And that is with dating. It is high school. After yeah. All. And they work really hard to try and do it when she's in college too. Like, I feel like there's m- like certain seasons where she leads more of a double life than other seasons. Like, I feel like this one specifically because it's at the beginning. And then again when she starts college. And then again because of another major event that happens. Sure. Um, it's interesting. And they did it well. And they made it relevant in this episode. And... They very clearly didn't solve anything. Buffy doesn't solve anything. She just realizes that she has to pay attention to it and she has to care about it and understanding the consequences of it. It was very mature the way she talked to Giles about it about the end was, no, he he just wants the, the rush. Owen, she's talking about, he just wants the rush and the adrenaline. And if he joins me in this double life, he's just going to die or somebody Mm -hmm. else is going to die because of it. Yeah. Which was a far more mature response from Buffy than I thought we were going to get. Right. In that moment, because she spends most of the rest of the episode, very Twitter painted or going back and forth between Twitter painted and just kicking some serious vampire butt. Yeah. Because I mean, we have to remember that Buffy is supposed to be 16. also talked about how there's a kale reference yes i noted the kale (laughs) reference a kale sighting uh absolutely a joke that would still be made today there aren't many of them no because i was like oh we're making a kale reference in the 90s well they are in california yeah that's fair they made a kale joke um yes in the cafeteria no less (laughs) yeah um, the, I, I noted that the library is tiny because this was the first time where they actually like walked through it and oh, the yeah. camera followed them through it. And oh my gosh, that's a small library. It is small. There is um, a section that I don't think they showed in this episode, though, that makes it a little bit bigger. That's kind. It's kind of an important section, though. Okay. Like a study room in the back or something? Kind or, of. Like, you can see it. It's like... I don't know if I've ever actually seen it in a library, like, legitimately, but it's, like, where they keep the special books and stuff, so it's, like, barricaded. Kind of looks like a jail cell, basically. Oh, it's where they keep the the important books. Yeah. And the important and expensive and... Yeah. That 
location becomes really important. Sure, I mean that later. makes sense because Giles even talked about in this episode how he had all these tomes and lore yep. and all of this stuff. Also, um, speaking of Giles, we got Giles' backstory briefly at the end. Yeah, a little bit. Um, which was nice, and I could listen to Anthony Stewart Head talk lore and talk exposition all day. Yeah, that doesn't change. It's great. great. <laughs> it's it really great. is. It's soothing. It is quick without feeling like you're rushing. He's not throwing any lines away. It all feels important, and the emphasis is right, and it's digestible. It's just, it's just spot on. I have headcanon out that that was his audition. His audition was just here. Read this three paragraphs of lore about Egyptian mummies and make it interesting, mm-hmm. and, or read this old Germanic folk tale to us and make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Not just a Buffy. And Xander and Willow, but to the audience as well. Yeah. Giles becomes super interesting because they just give him more and more to do and give him a lot more depth, which is exciting. I like when they do that. Like, next season is really good for Giles. They do a lot of Giles stuff. Yeah. Well, because it introduced a love interest for him. Oh, okay. That makes sense. They need to do that, obviously. They have to do that. Mm-hmm. Because everybody else is 16. Yes. They introduce a love interest for him, and he gets a lot. And gets to do a lot more. And gets to feel a lot more. They also barricaded the door with pillows. Oh my god. Someone, please, please teach these characters. Because <laughs> it wasn't just that one. It was. Cause it was... Um, Xander and Willow did that. They put the chairs in front of the door, and I was like, okay, that works. And then they very quickly moved the cushions and the pillows on top of it. But they didn't, like, jam them in or stuff them anywhere. They just kind of Literally put them there. Put them on top. Oh, I was like, that's going to do nothing. I was paying attention to that moment because earlier when Giles barricaded the door, he did the same thing. Did he? he like, he, they made this whole big show of him moving the filing cabinet yeah, and getting it in. And put it in. He put it at an angle and it was right. And it was mm-hmm. great. And then he kind of grabbed the, the hat rack and kind of just tossed it. Oh, and it kind of okay. hit and fell over. And I'm like, okay. that didn't do anything, Giles. And he knocked a chair over and tried to push it in the way, but it was not even leaning against the door. I just paid attention to the file cabinet. I guess I didn't notice the other stuff. I also had that Owen barely hits his head and Buffy thinks he's dead. Oh my gosh. That whole fight was just... Like, there were good things about it. Like, they very obviously had to have somebody thrown into the wall to hit the button to turn on the incinerator because that's how the fight ends Mm -hmm. but when they did that and they threw and they hit and it was like oh this is escalating this is interesting this is decently well done and then they're like and remember that uh super inconsistent buffy strength that she can use whenever she wants to but she can't always have it Mm -hmm. yeah we're just gonna throw around like a rag doll again until she gets mad yeah because he like pushed him against the door or opened the door into his head or something like that like the vampire did and he like barely hit his head 
And the vampire was like, oh, I killed him. And I was like, you're stupid. Like, you've been a vampire for five (laughs) seconds. I don't think you know what death means. Right? (laughs) Because the only reason for Buffy to think that he was, that Owen was dead in that moment was because the vampire said so. Yeah, because he's not bleeding. No, he's not bleeding. There's no wound. He didn't even get hit as hard as he had a second before. Yeah. Uh, the inconsistentness of the of her strength, but also the fights and how much injury is actually done with specific movements, or it's inconsistent and it bugs me. Related, uh, Buffy's casual and completely unnecessary acrobatics. She's flipping all over the place, and she doesn't need to. Yeah, it's the same thing with her like moans and grunts when she fights too. Yeah, just not necessary. And it ha- it happens not the needed. entire series. Right. It's so unnecessary. It's like somebody told her it needed to happen once, and so she kept doing it. Right, and it that actually kind of nicely leads into the next thing. The writers have started talking to the audience mm-hmm. a little bit, but not in the, hey, you need to know this, but in the, yeah, we know. We get it. We get it. Because at the very beginning, during that short opener bit, when Giles says, yeah, you talk too much, just stake him and go on, stake him and go mm-hmm. on, and you can hear the ent- everyone in the audience go, right? Right? We've been saying this. Um, but they do that, but then they also have the Xander and Willow line of, well, everyone figured we'd be dating, so we figured we might as well go ahead and give it a try now, or something yeah. like that. Which was, uh, it's a joke, <laughs> because they weren't dating. Right, yes, they weren't <laughs> dating, obviously, and they're li- in the scene, they're lying. Yeah. But it's such a very clear writer's tongue firmly in cheek going... Yeah, we know, audience. We understand what you're mm-hmm. thinking. We're going to talk right to I'd like to pull the screen aside and talk right to the audience. The audience, this yeah. joke is for you. You get it? Cool. Moving on. Yeah. Here, here's more Angel. <laughs> yeah. I keep forgetting how much they jam-pack into season one because there's still so much that needs to happen. I'm pretty positive that we meet two major characters this season because they do something with the anointed one. And I think it's before the master, or that I'm pretty sure it's before the end of this season. Before the end of the master storyline. Yeah. And then we have to establish that Angel's a vampire. Yep, that still has to come up. And that happens this season because Angel is next season. (laughs) Sure, that makes sense. I mean, you already have it in there. It's what you would dig into. It feels like there's so much that needs to happen still. And I've worked really hard not to like go back and look at all of the episodes for season one. So that you can still kind of experience it as we go. Yeah, so I've tried not to. Well, there's seven more episodes here in season one. I know what the next episode is, and I like the next episode. The next episode, you like the next one? Okay. I guess. Um, I did have a couple of uh, very 90s things. Buffy says, if the apocalypse comes, beep me. Yes. And the pager even looks so 90s. Like, it was the it was the black pager, but it was in the see-through clip-on case. 
Yeah. It's like, well, this is so 90s. I mean, she even makes a reference to the fact that it is not the 90s. Yes. Right before that. Right. Yes. It's, this is the 90s. The 1990s. Yeah. We did have... Okay, so there was no opening montage, but we did get two separate live 90s bands. Yes. Playing. Because, of course, we did. Right, because we were at the bronze twice. We were at the bronze twice. And every time you're in the bronze, you have to have a new life band. Yep. I think it's in the Buffy contract or Probably. something. I don't think that they're ever in the bronze without a live band. Also, shout out to uh, Cordelia's crimped hair. Yes. Super 90s. last bit before we're done which is ryan predicts poorly uh in the next episode i'm gonna go with an old fantasy standby large amounts of child death because they just brought in the kid to be the right hand man of voldemort so you know he's gotta drink their blood and kill unborn children or something he's a bad dude it's fantasy and vampires it could happen i don't know yes Eventually. I don't know. Well, that's about it for episode five, Buffy season one, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brittany. And don't forget, vampires don't need to ask permission to go into a morgue. Mm-hmm. Just good knowledge to have. This has been a Ghost Light Media production.